You're listening to RTI Audio, powered by Rocky Top Insider. This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler and Ryan Shumpert. Episode of the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. My name is Rick Butler. Join with me across the table, as always, my good friend, your good friend, Ryan Shumpert. Today is Wednesday, September the 7th. It is a beautiful day outside. We are having a good time. Hopefully, you are too. Look, no matter where you are listening from, no matter how you are listening, thanks for tuning in to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass show today. Ryan, good afternoon, my friend. What's going on? Not much. Not much. Doing well. Glad to be back on here as we uh, we, we finally got football back last week. Yeah. And now we get a real meaningful Tennessee football game we get to talk about as the Vols get ready to head to Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's very nice. But before we, uh, before we jump into any of the Week 2 action, let me kind of rewind the clock a little bit. Now, obviously, Tennessee had their opening game on Thursday. Now, for... A lot of us who were, you know, certainly tuned into that Tennessee game and, and who would be tuned in on any other Saturday, it was kind of a nice opportunity to have that whole opening weekend available. Did you enjoy your opening? Uh, I guess, obviously, you did have week zero a little while ago, but did you enjoy your first official opening weekend to the college football season? Yeah, I did. It was a ton of fun. Ooh, I, I was good. probably watched more games than... I'll watch any other weekend the rest of the season. I guess Tennessee's bye week will be the other one uh, in contention. And, yeah, I thought there were a lot of good games. Georgia-Oregon certainly was not one uh, one of them, but Florida-Utah was good. I, even Ohio State-Notre Dame was better than I thought. And even you go to – there weren't a, a lot of big, big-name noon games, but I thought there were some really entertaining noon games between uh, North Carolina State surviving against ECU because <laughs> of a, a bad East Carolina kicker. Yeah. North Carolina uh, surviving at Barnburn. at App State, and Drake May has is, is become Woo! now become one of my favorite players in the country. And then in a game that wasn't quite the barn burner, but was uh, at least from my vantage point funny and entertaining as well, was uh, Iowa taking on uh, I think it was South Dakota State and the seven three win with uh, two safeties uh, for Iowa to get to seven. So uh, a lot of fun games to watch, and then obviously. Uh, Florida State LSU Sunday night was about as crazy as it gets as well. Yeah, talk about uh, there were some pretty good dramatics uh, throughout the weekend for college football. Like what you're talking about, obviously the the LSU ending was was wild. That was a, a crazy situation to see. Look, if that's kind of what what the maybe the endings are trending to here early in the year, man, we could be in store for for some really good competition throughout the whole year and just. Man, a lot of really good entertainment throughout the year, I, I think. So certainly a fun weekend of college football to open things up. Maybe towards the, maybe in the middle of the show, maybe even towards the end of the show a little bit. Maybe we can do some kind of initial, just hot off the press, around the horn kind of reactions to the uh, the start to the SEC season. If I'm not mistaken, every team except for LSU uh, was victorious from the SEC. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So all a uh, perfect record for the SEC East, and that includes... Tennessee's season opener against Ball State, that was last Thursday. Tennessee won that game by a 49-point margin. Obviously, Tennessee picks up the victory by a score of 59-10. to Ryan, that one is in the books. You know, I don't think there's a, too, a whole too much that we need to go back and say about that game. I think most people kind of understand just what that game was, kind of the start for Tennessee's season. Obviously, in case you did miss any of the live reaction in the moments. We can go back and check it out on RTI's YouTube. You can go and check it out just on RockyTompInsider.com. Ryan and I broke it down in a bunch of different kind of ways via over uh, podcast, 
we did a video for it. So in case you missed any of the any of that, go back and listen to it from last week. But Ryan, if if you sound good with it, man, I think we go ahead and strip the flip the script straight to week two and start talking about this top twenty five ranked matchup of Tennessee. Yeah, let's do it. How about that, man? Tennessee comes in at number twenty four. Pittsburgh stays the same at number seventeen. Not only the first time that Tennessee is ranked in the Josh Heupel era, but hey, it's no cupcake game, right? To to start things out, you got to immediately go up against another team in the top twenty-five. That was uh, that was certainly an interesting development that kind of came down yesterday on Tuesday with the Monday game going a little bit later into the week. But you know, Ryan, just for just for starters, and then I'll throw it over to you. But to me, just kind of thinking about this game and thinking about going back to week one, you know, we have a we have a pretty good understanding of what Pittsburgh looks like right now. And mainly I say that just because hey, they had a really good game against West Virginia where it took them going all the way down to the wire to finish that game out. So it wasn't a situation where, you know, Pittsburgh was rotating through a lot of guys. They played a cupcake. We got a pretty good look at what that uh, Pittsburgh team looks like. Now, for Tennessee, I think we, again, we, we have a good understanding of what they're going to look like. But maybe a little bit more of a mystery after that 49-point win and the starters were pretty much out by the first half. But nonetheless, these two teams are familiar with each other, which is something that Josh Heupel has already talked about this week, going back to last year's game. Where, where do you start thinking about this game for Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a lot of different places, but I'll go with, you know, kind of an interesting factoid that you just kind of talked about, where obviously this is the second straight year these two teams have played, but uh, this is Josh Heupel's fifth year as the head coach. This will be his fourth time facing Pat Narduzzi and Pitt. Um, faced him twice at UCF, and then this is Hinton Hooker's fourth straight year, where he's in a yeah. quarterback game against Pitt, and yeah, I don't know how much that means. Josh Heupel talking on the SEC teleconference this morning said not a ton, um, but you know you go back and look at those games. Uh, Hooker's played well, really, in all of them. Obviously, came off the bench last year and uh, had a piece with uh, the Pittsburgh Gazette's Noah Hiles, kind of previewing uh, previewing the matchup, and he talked about you know Hooker's really been someone that's given Pittsburgh a lot of troubles, even going back to his time at Virginia Tech. So I think that's certainly interesting to watch, uh, among a lot of other things. Yeah, you know, I, I'm certainly. Impressed by what I saw from from Hinton Hooker last week, but that's going to be, man, that's going to be your difference maker. When you, especially when you're talking about a game on the road, when you need those X factors to to kind of be relied upon. Obviously, Tennessee feels very good about their quarterback Hinton Hooker, and even going back to yesterday, talking to Joey Halsley at the press conference, man, he was saying that, hey, look, right now we have an open playbook for Hinton Hooker. He has authority when it comes to this playbook. Hinton Hooker has the ability to, you know, he's got a wide open set of plays, but Halsey was saying that, hey, if he doesn't like something along the way, it's out. It's not even a hesitation. It's just, you know, hey, if you don't feel comfortable running it, if you don't feel like the timing is right, something along those lines, well, we have enough trust in you uh, that we'll just take it out right then and there. So I thought that was an interesting part from the press conference yesterday. But back to your point, yeah, I, I do think that, I mean, when you look at this Tennessee offense, Hendon Hooker is going to be uh, so valuable. And I know, obviously, that's not it's not breaking any news. That's not telling anybody something they didn't already know. Uh, but I, I – I liked what I saw from Hinton Hooker last Thursday, and then talking to Halsey yesterday, said that hey, just a little bit of um, what's the what's the word mechanics uh, with some of those high errant throws uh, of last yeah. Thursday, some of the ones that just kind of sailed towards the end zone. He said, "Hey, those have you know already been fixed. Maybe just a lower body mechanics thing." But uh, regardless, you know something that I really kind of noticed about this Pittsburgh team going into this season, and then certainly noticed it after the first game of the season. But this is a Pittsburgh team that expects or maybe I should say, expected to have a really good offensive line. And, and I certainly think they will, but that was one of the, how should I say this, I guess that was one of the negatives that I, that I definitely saw people talking about after this Pittsburgh game, 
was that they just did not have a- as much of a dominant offensive line as they really thought they were going to have. I believe West Virginia ended up getting about five sacks on the day. So that, to me, is an interesting spot just looking at this Pittsburgh team, seeing that as a place where they believe is a strength, but maybe they're not necessarily playing up to those standards yet. Now, when you look at the other side of the trenches for, for Tennessee's defensive line, almost a, a little bit of a similar story, right? It, did not see them as dominant as maybe some people expected them to be in that first game. So I'm already looking at that spot for a, a very key, critical matchup for this game. How is it going to be Tennessee's defensive line, which needs a little bit of a, of a chip on their shoulder after last week, versus Pittsburgh offensive line, who again is looking for a little bit of a chip on their shoulder after they maybe not performed as well as they felt like they could have. Yeah, I'll have the keys to the game piece on, on Friday, but you'll probably pick up on all of them here just talking about <laughs> it. And, and that's one of them, and it's because – just what the change that Pittsburgh's offense really had this offseason. You lose Kenny Pickett uh, to the NFL. Uh, I guess he stays in Pittsburgh with the Pittsburgh Steelers, but no, no longer a uh, member of the Panthers team. You lose Jordan Addison to USC. And then the offense coordinator changes uh, as well. As they went to make a change there, and the guy they brought in was a guy that had been at Pittsburgh before back in, in the end of 2000s decade. Um, and he's running a – it's a much more run-first offense, and that's what – Pat Narduzzi wanted. I mean, you heard Pat Narduzzi yeah. criticize his former offensive coordinator this offseason when last year he had a Heisman candidate at quarterback, and he won the ACC with that offensive coordinator. So I think it's pretty clear that they want to run the ball more, and I think when you look at that experienced offensive line that Pittsburgh has and you look at maybe the question marks Tennessee's defensive line had, and again, it's really nitpicky to take this from a game against Ball State where sure. Ball State didn't even run for 100 yards. I just didn't <laughs> think that was one of Tennessee's area. You know, you'd like to see – Tennessee defense alignment kind of living in the backfield and creating yeah. making creating a lot of negative plays, and you didn't see that. And some of that goes credit to Ball State. I mean, Ball State returned their whole entire offensive line from a year ago. That was the strength of their team last year when they made it uh, to a bowl game. So, again, it's one game you don't know how much to judge. But I think when you look at Tennessee's defense against Pittsburgh's offense, that's, that's step one. And I think if – I think Pittsburgh's passing game presents problems, too, for Tennessee's rushing attack. I mean, sure. I think – I don't think Tennessee's – Defense is good enough to act like really anything at this point in the season and until they prove otherwise is going to be easy for them. But I think if you don't, if you can't stop the run or at least limit the run, I think that makes life a lot harder on you. And if you don't stop the run, I, I you know the thing that stood out looking at this game this week, especially if Tennessee can't stop Pittsburgh running, I think it's really going to be play out similarly to that Tennessee Kentucky game last year did, where Tennessee Kentucky struggled to stop Tennessee. I think Pitt would struggle to stop Tennessee throwing the ball down the field. But Pitt, Kentucky in that game, they can run a lot of clock. They can control yeah. the game. Uh, they have long drives. They're consistently in third and short and third and manageable. And I think that's really something that Tennessee, uh, as much as we heard them talk about all offseason, got to be better on third downs. Uh, and it, even third and longs where they weren't very good last year. Uh, I certainly think against an offense like this, it's a huge, huge benefit to get them in third and eight, third and ten, rather than third and two, third and four. Yes, yeah, certainly. And, you know, even going back to your point a second ago, we saw Ball State get the ball out quickly, right? And we, we could tell that, hey, that was going to be their game plan going against a, a, what they believe to be an overmatched Tennessee defense. going to be much more interesting to see how Pittsburgh decides to uh, attack this Tennessee front seven. But when you talk about that unit, right, and I know we're talking about the defensive line, we're talking about getting to the quarterback, but I also kind of stretch it back a little bit also to that front seven. Man, I, I got to tell you, Juwan Mitchell is a guy that yeah. I'm really interested in knowing what his health status is going to look like for this Friday. Because, again, I, I think that he, and granted, I, I don't know this because we haven't necessarily seen him in an in-game scenario. And, and the time that we did for Tennessee last year, it feels like it, it was 
just about a year ago, if not over a year ago at this point. So he certainly, to me, is an X factor. I don't want to go out and say that, hey, he, he's going to be the biggest difference maker that Tennessee could imagine. We just don't know. But I do think that he has the ability to be that X factor right there in the middle of the defense. If he is able to go for Tennessee on Saturday, how much does that give Tennessee's defense right there? A, I think that gives them a little bit just more flexibility and the ability to uh, get more guys in. You have a you have a three-man rotation between Jeremy Banks, Aaron Beasley, and Juwan Mitchell, but also it's just some somebody that Pittsburgh did not see last year. I think that could play into uh, play a little bit of a factor as well. So Juwan Mitchell, again, ruled out before Tennessee's game against Ball State just like half an hour before while we were sitting in the press box what, uh, watching the warm-ups on the field. Juwan Mitchell ruled out. Josh Heupel talked about it on Monday. He said, like he's going to say all season, I guarantee you for these injuries, that we're going to reevaluate at the end of the week, and then we'll see from there. But certainly that's at least a, a name that I've had my eye on thinking about this Tennessee defense for, for this Pittsburgh game. Yeah, certainly. And I think if he doesn't go, and probably if he does go too, but more so if he doesn't go, it's going to be interesting to see how many different linebackers Tennessee plays early because they play Quasi Garland early. They play Elijah Herring early. Yeah. And, you know, Tim Banks said with Elijah Herring, you know, we think he's going to be a role for him all year. But, you know, it's easier to say that stuff against Ball State when it is sure. against Pittsburgh in a good game, and especially Pittsburgh's having success running the ball. So I'll be really fascinated to see that. I think, you know, on the injury front, there's two guys on Pittsburgh uh, who are also questionable for the game, and, and Rodney Hammond, sophomore running back, who was really supposed to be their number two running back coming in uh, to the season, but was fantastic in the opener. Uh, rushed for 74 yards, two touchdowns, whereas the starting running back for Pittsburgh rushed for 15 yards on eight carries. Um, but he twisted his ankle up pretty badly in, in the second half and didn't return to the game. So that's one guy uh, that Pittsburgh could be without. And then uh, the other one, defense alignment, Deslin Alexander, as uh, a team captain, fifth-year senior, and a part of a good Pittsburgh defense line who's back. I think that one's probably less of a big deal than Hammond's is if he isn't able to go just because yeah. if there's a strength of this pit team, I think it's that they have a lot of different bodies along that defensive line and a lot of different guys who can come in and play well and be a factor. But it's, you know, week two of the season, you know, injuries are always uh, something in football. You don't expect it the week two to be uh, maybe as big as a deal as it is this year. But obviously with college and as secretive as uh, these coaches like to keep everything, there are a few, uh, a few different um, – Things up in the air, I guess you could say, for a couple of different players as we as we get to the weekend. Yeah, and speaking of the injury perspective on Tennessee side, is it just pretty much Juwan Mitchell that that they're kind of concerned about? Yeah, I mean, the, we haven't really heard a lot about the five guys that were out for that game on Thursday, but D. Williams is really the only other one of those guys. That yeah. I think the only other one that wasn't a freshman. I guess uh, Miles Campbell, the sophomore retro yeah. freshman tight end, would be the other one. But other other three guys. Are going to play a ton. D. Williams, we know he's going to have a role on special teams when he's healthy. We don't really know what his role will look like if there is any role on defense. So, Juwan Mitchell, really uh, the big one for Tennessee. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, as it just kind of popped into my head a second ago, and I almost kind of laughed about it while you said it. But speaking of, of Narduzzi, did you see uh, – he just had a funny quote. Uh, uh, I guess maybe it was this week, but called his uh, – Called his offensive line some fat heads. Or, excuse me, no, no, no. He said they had some fat heads. First thing I thought it was, get those guys some NIL deals. Yeah, yeah. Get, make them into actual fatheads and get them up on the wall and stuff. Did you ever have one of those? Yeah, I had a Peyton, I had a Peyton Manning one. And Did you? Growing up, yeah. Was it was it massive? Oh, like, it was big, as yeah. advertised. It was the it was the full size one. Yeah. Man, I always wanted one. Yeah, I always wanted. I haven't a fat thought head. about fatheads in forever until you just brought that up. But yeah, I had a Peyton Manning. The wall one. decal, man. Yeah, massive. 
They were huge. They were. <laughs> they were life-size. life-size. Yeah. Did it come with like little extras or like I think bonuses or like a football that you can slap up or? Yeah, I think there was maybe like a Colts logo and a couple other things. But I'm, you're a Titans fan. Yeah, I, I don't. I think I just had the Peyton Manning one. But in those days of my life, my I was more of a Peyton Manning fan than yeah. I was uh, any sort of uh, professional football fan. I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of Tennessee fans <laughs> might have been in that in a in a very similar boat. Okay, so. Well, you know, we're already talking a little Tennessee offense. Let's flip that script a little bit. Ryan, you, you talked about some of your uh, keys to victory piece, kind of some things that Tennessee is going to really need to get under control. What do you have from the offensive side? What's something that you're looking for? Yeah, to me, the thing that's intriguing about this game, uh, Pittsburgh, their secondary, it's a big question mark on this team. I think it probably would be the weakness of the defense. I think Tennessee's going to be able to have success throwing the ball. To me, that's not... A huge question. The degree of success they have, uh, you know, is certainly up in the air. We'll see on Saturday. But I think Tennessee will have success passing the ball. Probably the number one thing I'm looking for in this game. Pat Narduzzi's defense, they absolutely pride themselves on stopping the run. You go back to that Tennessee pit game last year. Tennessee struggled to run the ball with the running backs. Hendon Hooker had some good plays on designed runs, a couple scrambling uh, to kind of give Tennessee a little bit of action on the ground, but not much. And now West Virginia game, they struggled, especially in the second half. Yeah. That West or that pit run defense had some really bad stretches when West Virginia started taking over that game. I you know I well I watched Narduzzi's press conference on Monday and you know he was obviously very upset about that and that's probably going to be emphasis number one for them going in this game. But if I say all this to say if Tennessee can run the ball on Pittsburgh like West Virginia the success they had West Virginia got in front of me now they had 190 rushing yards minus 23 on sacks from Jaden Daniels. So if you're going to go by the NFL's Stats books, that would be 213 rushing yards. Tennessee runs the ball for in the 200-yard ballpark on Saturday. I can't see a world where they lose. Uh, I just can't. So, to me, that's something that's really uh, intriguing to look at. And then, I guess the other thing I would say, um, West Virginia, while I think their secondary has some issues, that pass rush is maybe the best part of their team. And I think it's going to be Jeremiah Crawford. Those guys look good in their first test at left tackle. But Ball State brought three a lot. It's Ball State. There wasn't a whole lot of exotic uh, blitz packages. Pitt's going to have the exotic blitz packages. Those guys need to be ready to play, and it, it'll be interesting to see how they perform. So when you say that you, you're feeling pretty good about Tennessee's ability to throw the ball on, on Pittsburgh coming up this Saturday, do you mean that in, in terms of more of a, from what you saw from Tennessee's offense going back to last Thursday, adding in pieces such as a, a Brew McCoy, a, a Walker Merrill, the way that those guys were able to operate together, or are you kind of saying that more along the lines of Again, because of Pittsburgh's struggles last week, because of maybe their emphasis on the run could take away, or is it maybe somewhere in the middle? I, I mean, I think number one is just I don't think there's many teams that Tennessee won't be able to throw the ball pretty okay, successfully yeah. on. I mean, they have one of the three or four best quarterbacks in, in the SEC, and that's probably being cautious with it. I think you know he's second t- preseason second team All SEC, and then you have, in my opinion, the best receiver in the SEC in yeah. Cedric Tillman, yeah. and an offensive line that brings four out of five guys back. Obviously, that left tackle spot's question mark. But then that, like I said in the last you know little bit, I think secondary probably is the biggest weakness of this Pitt defense. So I just think it's a good matchup for Tennessee. I think they're going to get their plays. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Ball State, it was very clear they didn't want Tennessee to hit them with anything over the top. It'll be interesting to see how aggressive Pitt's defense is as opposed to maybe taking away some of those shots. But uh, I certainly think there are going to be yards there in the passing game for Tennessee. Yeah, certainly. I, I think that I absolutely think that you're right, and I think that that's kind of where Tennessee is going to take advantage. That's where Tennessee is going to make their money or, or – it's going to be their bread and their butter to an extent, but certainly that run game going to going to need to be effective as well. We all know very well how, how Josh Heupel always talks about how that is the the uh, 
that is the gear that makes the machine of the Tennessee offense run. It's the, for lack of a, no pun intended, it's the run game. So certainly that's going to need to be important. Uh, Jabari Small talked to the media yesterday, said that, hey, he felt good coming out of week one. He, he felt good about the running back room, what, uh, what he saw. And then a couple of people, whether it had been an assistant coach, Heupel, uh, Jabari, somebody like that, they've all been saying that, hey, you know, Thursday was really one of the first days that, that Jalen Wright had, had a full yeah. – uh, even just day, right? Contact, a, a, contact yeah. a full, you know, you, you put on the cleats and the, the helmet and you go to work. Uh, that was really one of his full times in that physical contact mode. So just being able to see him on the other side of it, apparently it, things have things been rolling good this week so far during camp. So certainly uh, Tennessee running back room. We know we're going to have an eye on it all season long, but at least going into week two seems to still be uh, pretty charged up. Yeah, it does. And It'll be interesting, this kind of stuff we talked about after the game. What Does the breakdown of carries look similar? Maybe not the breakdown of carries, but the breakdown of reps in the first half. You know, Tennessee was able to play just about everybody against Ball State because the game was out of hand. But, you know, it was very clear in the first half. Jabari Smalls running back one. I think he got the first three possessions just about every snap. And then it was a Jalen Wright. How early does Jalen Wright see action in? And, you know, behind those guys, what does uh, how much does Dylan Sampson get? So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but uh, I certainly think it's it's a – opportunity for Tennessee's rushing game to, to have a, a real big performance. Certainly. All right, just kind of wrapping up thoughts on this Tennessee-Pittsburgh preview for Saturday. By the way, Ryan and I will be there. We will be in Pittsburgh for this game. Very excited to go make that trip up there. Uh, if anybody's got any good Pittsburgh recommendations, maybe something to do over there in the, uh, what is that, the Rust Belt? It's like the side of the yeah, Rust Belt? I think so. Well, one Still of us, city. One of us should know. Okay. Well, let's just say it is. Okay, so it's on the side of the Rust Belt over there. If anybody's very familiar with that area, uh, let us know. Find us on Twitter or something. I'm certainly excited to go up there. Uh, I've never been, have you? No. First time. All right. So just kind of wrapping up thoughts on this. Uh, Again, one of the things that I'm certainly looking for this Saturday is uh, Tennessee's defensive line. Uh, Again, I want to see the battle of that trenches. Ryan just gave a great explanation about, you know, why kind of the the trenches are going to be a big deal on the other side as well. But I'm really looking at this. Pittsburgh offensive line versus the Tennessee defensive line. Again, neither one of them struggled last week, but I think that neither one of them maybe had the performance that they wanted to. So both units, uh, both sides of the trenches are going to come into this battle ready to go and ready to prove something, prove to the people why you know week one was just a little bit of a fluke maybe for their unit and that they are more dominant uh, than they showed in the first week. So that is certainly a spot that I'm looking at. Hey, we saw that Keaton Slovis, he, he held on to the ball a little bit uh, in the first game versus West Virginia. How is... Byron Young and Tyler Barron going to be able to get to the quarterback if that's going to be an opportunity for them. Certainly, uh, again, that's just kind of the lot of unique or unique was not the right word. A lot of interesting spots, matchups, position battles in this game. But the one that I'm going to be looking forward to is the trenches. Yeah, uh, I agree. And um, that's something you talked about, Slovis holding on to the ball a little, little bit too much. That's something that Noah Hiles, uh, like I said, with the Pittsburgh Gazette, okay. a Pittsburgh Post-Gazette said he didn't think his pocket awareness his pocket presence was a great in that game and then I guess my last thing wrapping up preview thoughts just a, a guy to watch out for Bub Means receiver Bub, Bub Means receiver for Pitt great name. former Tennessee player Jerron Means I don't think he really ever played at Tennessee uh, but signed with Tennessee was a defensive back That's right and then uh, transferred to Louisiana Tech originally uh, where he played receiver and then now at Pittsburgh and, and one of their I don't know if he's one of the starters, but he's one of the receivers that, that yeah. plays a lot. I think yeah. he had about 40, 50 yards in the opener. Totally blanked on that. <laughs> Coming into the podcast and you said that, and I was like, light bulb went off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Why? Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Uh, one little tie-in to Tennessee on that pit roster. Yep, certainly. 
All right. Well, again, we are going to be there this Saturday, so make sure you are following Rocky Top Insider for all of the Week 2 Tennessee-Pittsburgh coverage. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all that good stuff. We will be there this weekend keeping you locked in for the battle between the Vols and the Panthers, the second Johnny Majors Classic happening from Pittsburgh this weekend. All right, Ryan, let's go ahead and do this. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, come back on their side, then we'll wrap up some stories for the day. we got a little bit of basketball to talk, a little bit of basketball recruiting. Uh, certainly, like we said at the beginning of the show, some SEC football to talk about. There's plenty to get into. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We'll be right back. And now, back to the show. All right, here we go. Back into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, hanging out with you. Just got done talking about a preview for Tennessee and Pittsburgh coming up this Saturday. So now we go ahead and we flip the script over to basketball. And Ryan, today's a pretty good day to do so, considering that this morning here on Wednesday, Tennessee went uh, went ahead and officially dropped the 2022 season schedule. Yeah, it did, and it's interesting with basketball. Feel like we have a billion schedule drops, and if you follow the site, yeah. <laughs> and all, you you really do because you have these non-conference games, these big non-conference games that kind of sprinkle out over a while. Some of them we already knew: Arizona, Colorado. You know the ones, uh, the series that have been planned ahead of in advance. Same with Tennessee playing the Bad Boy Mowers, and then uh, you have SEC releases all the games, the eighteen games Tennessee will play, who they're against, where they're at. But not the order, not the schedule. And then Tennessee releases its full non-conference schedule. <laughs> it has kind of the cupcake games in there, too, that yep. they'll play at home. And then now, officially today, the SEC released the SEC schedule, which completes Tennessee's full 2022-23 season. Yeah. Or schedule. 23 it, it, schedule. It does, and you're right. There, there's so many just weird releases and kind of the way yes. that it happens. And there's you get announcements and then dates, and then announcements and then dates, and so on and so forth. So this is where we're at the point right now. Again, in case you missed any of this, go ahead and check it out on RockyTompInsider.com. It is laid out perfectly for you right there. Uh, but, Ryan, let's just go ahead and start talking about just some initial thoughts to what Tennessee is going to face, especially from an SEC perspective coming up in the early months of 2023. I want to look at just January alone, I think, for starters. This is a, a and I believe you used this exact word in your post earlier today, but a manageable month for Tennessee. Yeah, we, we know that Tennessee had a tough start to the SEC conference last year, some challenging games right there, but this is manageable, and it, it certainly allows an opportunity for Tennessee to get off to a great, important start in what will be SEC play. Yeah, you're right, and I mean, there's really a very, very – logical laid out path to Tennessee starting 8 and 0 and not losing an SEC game until the month of February. Start first three games at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, at South Carolina and then Vanderbilt at home. Those four games, not that you couldn't lose any of those games, but I would think Tennessee will be decent sized favorites in all of those games, probably yep. double digit favorites over to Doors and Bulldogs at home. Then you get Kentucky at home, nice CS games on a Saturday after being a weekday last year on January 14th. And then you round out uh, the month of road trips to Mississippi State, LSU, and then a return home to face Georgia on the 25th. And then, of course, we'll get Texas that last Saturday of January at home in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. But, I mean, you look at those eight SEC games, Tennessee's going to be favored in all of those games. Really, Kentucky and LSU uh, are the only two games that I you know, would expect real tight spreads. And, you know, just on paper, games would be real tight. So I think a, a lot of opportunities uh, for Tennessee to get out to a hot start in, in what should be a pretty contested SEC regular season championship race this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, we talk about just kind of – I think after watching Tennessee basketball for the last couple of years and seeing them be in that contention spot late in the year, I think you really get a good understanding of 
just how important the season is from a whole perspective, but especially we, we know how important those games towards the end of February are going to be, so that's why it's so important to really kind of boost that resume up at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of conference play, and certainly, like you said, Tennessee has a lot of opportunities to do that in January uh, and, and just kind of start the season, start the SEC play with a really clean record. Now, you do move into February, uh, and, and we'll kind of go through the schedule a little bit there. Um, at Florida, then you got Auburn, you go to Vanderbilt, Missouri, and Alabama come to Tennessee. Then you got back-to-back road games in Kentucky, again, like you were saying, on a on a Saturday. So both of Tennessee's games versus uh, Kentucky versus the Wildcats will be on a Saturday, will be on the weekend. Uh, so you go to Kentucky and then come back a couple days later, you go to Texas A&M over in College Station, come back with uh, two home games against South Carolina and Arkansas. Uh, that Arkansas game is on February 28th, another late, late season showdown with the Hogs. We saw how important yeah. that was for kind of that that build to the uh the build to the SEC tournament, the build to the postseason last year. I expect that's going to be another very important game for both teams. Uh and then you finish off the the uh, the season with a uh with a game at Auburn uh, to start off March. So a lot of very fascinating storylines that are going to be kind of surrounding this Tennessee team, weaving through this Tennessee team throughout the throughout the months of January and February, but a lot of primetime matchups that could come. Excuse me, maybe not primetime, but a lot of big-time matchups. No, it is, and I think that last three weeks is really what you look at when you look at Tennessee's schedule being the hard stretch. Um, Alabama at home, at Kentucky, I mean, you went through all of them, but you know, I think you look at those last six games, South Carolina at home should be pretty close to a layup, but the other ones, you know, those are all going to be hard games. Texas A&M really seemed like they were building, you know, towards something strong there at the end of last season. I think probably a, a big target year for Buzz Williams there in College Station. That's going to be a challenging game on the road. Uh, you think Alabama should be better than they were last year at, at home. Again, that's a game I think Tennessee would be favored in, um, but a game I think they'd win. And then you kind of have the two games on Tennessee's schedule where I think you look preseason and you say, yeah, six months out, Tennessee's probably – certainly going to be an underdog at Kentucky and at Auburn. So challenging, uh, but I mean, I think you get to those last three weeks, you get to mid-February, Tennessee should have every chance to be right in the race. And look, yep. the last, some of that's just, you know, you get Arkansas and Auburn to finish the regular season. That's just the reality of being a good team. They're going to, the SEC wants the race to be contested to win the league. They want who they want to decide to be decided who wins the SEC regular season the last week and a half of the season. And, and I think that's really, you look at it, the last week and a half of the SEC season, the last uh, you know, kind of three conference games people have. You have in that stretch Auburn at Kentucky, Arkansas at Alabama, Arkansas at Tennessee, Auburn at Alabama, Kentucky at Arkansas, and Tennessee at Auburn. So Tennessee won't be the only team that's, you know, finishing yeah. the year with a lot of hard games. They have a lot of big, uh, like you said, kind of marquee games uh, to close out the conference schedule and uh, what should make for a really fun race in the SEC with, you know, where we'll see what the preseason rankings look like. But, I, you know, I think Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee will probably all three be top ten teams, and I think Alabama and Auburn will certainly probably find themselves in the top 25 too. Again, you can go and find this whole schedule on RockyTopInsider.com, but just from an audio perspective, because I know this is at least maybe a way that I would like to consume this information, here's a little bit of a breakdown between home games and away games for Tennessee basketball in conference play. Mississippi State, and this is also going to be in order. So these are home games. Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Georgia, Auburn, Missouri, Alabama, South Carolina, Arkansas. Then your road games in order going to be at South Carolina, at Mississippi State, at LSU, at Florida, at Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Texas A&M. Then again, like we were saying, close season down in Auburn. So that's going to be a uh, fireworks to end the season. That should be a lot of fun to kind of set up what should be some interesting story uh, storylines heading into the SEC tournament. Yeah, certainly. And I guess kind of closing thoughts. You, We talked about it, I think, maybe on here a while back, not a ton of 
fun non-conference games, at least pre-conference games at home, Thompson Bowling Arena. But you know, Saturday games against Kentucky, Auburn, and, and Texas all in uh, January, I believe, all in all in January and in early, early February. I think that Auburn game is. So those are to me kind of the three marquee home games you look at that should be fun ones at a uh, Thompson Bowling Arena. You know, I saw a video on. Maybe Twitter, maybe Instagram, maybe one of the two. I'm sure it came from the same account, though. But Tennessee Basketball did post a, uh, a video today of getting back on the court. A lot of, uh, a lot of just fun little highlights. Seems like the guys are having a lot of fun just being back in the court together. Uh, a lot of dunks and then some new faces that, that I think are going to be uh, really exciting just to see how they continue to develop here in the early fall months and then obviously how that builds into the season. Um, going to be fun. So go ahead and uh, check that video out on Tennessee social media if you haven't seen it already. Yeah, certainly, and uh, I think, you know, Santiago Vescovi and, and then Olivier Campbell, I think both were playing some games earlier uh, this month and then into August as well uh, with uh, their international teams. So I think both those guys are, are back on campus now, and Tennessee's got the full team as they as they build towards the season. I feel like I saw something over the summer. Vescovi taking in a lot of tennis, maybe over the offseason. Did you, did you see anything about that? I did not, no. Okay, all right. Well, I hope not making that up, but I, I, I feel like, Maybe that was something that he participated in, or, or maybe he's at least been watching them. I do think that he he maybe I don't want to say participates. That's not going to be the right word. But I do know that he uh, he he's involved around the Tennessee tennis team, uh, just from various people who have said that. So I think he likes tennis. Maybe I've gotten know. I've never been into tennis, but Nick Kyrgios has gotten me into tennis. I couldn't go to bed last night watching watching that uh, match at the U.S. Open. Really? Yeah. Just locked in. Yeah, I mean, I well, Nick Kyrgios is an electric factory. I mean, I've never been a tennis guy, but this dude is so fun to watch. I mean, he's just having breakdowns in the middle of the – I mean, he lost last night, and he was just just here slamming his racket <laughs> and then a pause for him to get another racket and start slamming. He's like me when I was a middle schooler playing Madden getting My upset. Like, he's, he's, he's awesome, though. He went full hairband, smashed the guitar with his tennis racket, not once but twice. Yes. Okay, okay. Anyways, uh, Vescovy, tennis, all that aside <clears> – <throat> Looking at uh, Tennessee's roster and really the rosters coming in the future, man, going back in the last week or so, Tennessee grabbed a gigantic, and I don't say that just about his ranking, I say that about him, a gigantic commit in six foot eleven center J.P. Estrella. I mean, he, he commits to Tennessee from... Uh, from the class of 23, a four-star prospect, again, a six foot eleven center that, that really brings a, a, a unique combination of size and athleticism to this Tennessee team down the road. And, of course, he, he fills a very important spot on the court. We know that the center is always going to be an important position, but we also know how much the center position has changed a lot lately. We know that you cannot just be a... a, a, a a tree planted in the in the middle of the court right there. You got to be able to move around. You got to have some athleticism to your game. JP Australia certainly has that. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's just to that point. I think he's grown eight inches since he's gotten into high school. And yeah. he has, you see, a lot of guys like that who grow late. And they have a lot of guard skills. They're good shooters because they play guard for most of their life. And then they, they grow and they become big men. And I think maybe the number one thing that stands out is, you know, just like Freddie Delone or Dillion. Both these guys' last names. I've I've seen pronunciation guides, but I'm <laughs> I'm shaky on them. Uh, uh, Tennessee got in on these guys early, and they made them targets. 
either before their junior year of high school or during their junior high school season. And both those guys, their recruitments, their rankings, everything, it blew up this spring when they got into the AAU circuit. And the fact that Tennessee was there early with both these guys uh, was huge. Estrella, Duke offered him. He originally scheduled a visit to Durham in the summer before canceling it. And Tennessee, the fact that they were able to go into Maine and beat out Syracuse, who obviously is local in a program with more – uh, historical pedigree in Tennessee to beat out them, beat out Iowa uh, to land a top 50 recruit. I think it, it's really strong. And now where last year, you know, Tennessee ended up signing yeah. a good uh, rec- recruiting class. I don't mean to make it sound like they didn't, but they missed on a ton of guys in, in the fall that they were targets. Yes. Uh, Case and Edwards, um, Dylan Mitchell at Texas, and there's a ton of them that Tennessee was after and they didn't end up landing. They really landed a lot of their top targets. I mean, uh, they, they missed out. I guess it was Casey Wallace last year. I, I combined the two. They missed out on Justin Edwards, who went to Kentucky over Tennessee as a top-five prospect earlier this summer. But besides that, uh, they targeted Cade Phillips early. They got him locked up back in May. And then uh, to beat out some good teams for, for top-50 recruits in uh, DeLeon and Estrella, is, that's huge. And I think Tennessee, not that they are going to sit on their hands by any means, but I think they're probably – pretty comfortable uh, where they, they're at right now and going into the spring. I'm sure there'll be a few more guys that they try to kind of target and land here uh, in the fall recruiting period. But if they don't land anybody else, if they go into the spring with these three guys in the class, I think they have a good class already yeah, pretty, and a, a good thing to build off of. Pretty solid. And, again, what we've been saying is you're filling a couple of different positions there, which is good. When you talk about a six foot eleven center, you know that he's obviously going to bring you some kind of strong protection down low, and that is certainly what he is, uh, what he's been able to do in in a lot of these highlights, and, and certainly plays for uh, the Middlesex Magic team. So they've got a lot of highlights up, and you can really see these aspects to his game. But he seems like a strong rim protector, and and again, that's something that you almost expect with a guy who's uh, nearly seven feet tall. But he also has a lot of nice touch around the rim. He, he's got a hook shot that. You know, a little baby hook that I'm sure could, you know, could use a lot of refinement along the way. But for where it is right now, seems to use that really well to his advantage. Obviously, dealing with maybe some smaller players on that, uh, on that kind of travel circuit or, or whatever it is. So maybe he's been able to take advantage of that. But at the same time, he does seem like he has uh, some really solid footwork. And as we were saying a second ago, this is a guy who can step back out behind the perimeter and knock down a shot. Now, I, I don't think he's a, necessarily a world beater from three-point range or anything, but if needed, he is. He does have the ability to step back, knock down a three, which, again, is something that is becoming more and more and more valuable in just Certainly. basketball today. You see it a lot in the NBA, but with what you see in the NBA translates down to the, to the levels beneath it. So you are seeing that, uh, that kind of evolution come to college basketball J.P. Estrella is, kind of, is the kind of guy who fits that mold. Yeah, certainly, and you know, his commitment now, Tennessee, number seven recruiting class on 247sports.com. Still, uh, you know, every, every team they're behind, they have three commits right now. Every team they're behind either has three or four commits. You know, it's, they're ahead of a ton of, a ton of classes that have three commits, and I guess the one other basketball recruiting note uh, to look at, they jumped from number eight to seven this week without getting a commitment as George Washington, the third decommitted from Ohio State. Uh, he's a guy that visited Tennessee back last fall, uh, was was high on the Vols when he chose Ohio State over them. Uh, he told RTI earlier this week that Tennessee had reached out since he decommitted, so we'll see what ends up happening there. Um, he kind of plays the same position as Dillion, so yeah. who knows uh, how hard Tennessee will go in. But there has been contact there, and for the four-star guard, that's kind of maybe another name to watch as Tennessee kind of resets its board with three solid pieces. 
There you go. And, of course, if you want to go back and learn a little bit more about all of this different Tennessee basketball conversation, especially when we're talking about some of these recruitments, some of these prospects that we're looking at down the line, you can go and find all of that great information over on RockyTopInsider.com. Ryan, just kind of finishing up the uh, the basketball situation uh, with one last quick story. You wrote about it today. A uh, little bit of early projections for the basketball postseason. Where did you see that Joe Lenardi dropped the Vols in the rankings? Uh, yeah, so he has Tennessee as a, a two seed, um, which is the second highest in the SEC. Kentucky, a one seed, uh, obviously, and played a game. So only so much you can really glean yeah. from uh, preseason bracketology. But I think that kind of gives you a look at how this Tennessee team is viewed uh, kind of in the national eyes with uh, a lot yeah. of major pieces coming back and a chance to compete at a really high level. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree. I think that's really what these uh, – what these way too early projections are for. Just kind of get an idea about how people are feeling about a certain team. All right, Ryan. Well, that's about all I got on the basketball front. We've already talked about Tennessee Pittsburgh coming up this Saturday. What do you say we go ahead and close this thing down with some shout outs? Yeah, so I only one coming to the top of my head right now, but shout out Candace Parker. She joins uh, some the Tennessee WNBA royalty. I believe it was Tamika Catching. She tied for the most triple doubles in WNBA playoff history uh, this week is uh, she keeps having, you know, an awesome season and an awesome postseason, and she looks to get her uh, second straight WNBA title. Yeah, absolutely. She is, man, she's killing it. Did you see when she got hit in the in the eye? Yeah. In that game the other day, yeah. I mean, she took a she took a nasty shot to the eye and then was still able to come back down and uh, and and compete in that game. Will her team to? Can't remember if they won that game or not, but you know, compete with her team. Yeah, certainly, and. Uh, Obviously, she's had an incredible career, and that continues on this this postseason. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I don't have a ton of shout-outs for, for today, but I, I do want to say one thing, and it was as we were going around Neyland Stadium on Thursday, you can just tell how many people put in a lot of hard work into that stadium it, in a lot of different aspects. But, of course, we, we, we've only, uh, we only saw and we only spoke with just extremely nice people, people who are working extremely hard to get that stadium to to the standards that it's at for this season. I, I think I got to look at it on Friday at the television broadcast because we were there on Thursday, and, and it looked great from the from the TV. So shout out to everybody who's been putting in hard work uh, to make that into a good product on TV. I know that a lot of people have uh, have really been putting in a lot of effort this last month or so, especially in these weeks that have been closing down to lead up to the season. I, I heard that a lot of you know, I heard from people who were working at the stadium that, you know, yeah, there there were a lot of things that had to be done before that Thursday, but they were lucky enough just to have an almost kind of community aspect come in and want to be a part of the, the Neyland Stadium renovation. So it seemed like a lot of people came together to work on those, and it looked great for Thursday. So shout out shout out to them for that. Yeah, great stuff. And said they did a lot of stuff this offseason, and I think maybe the weather uh, participated with them pretty well there in the summer months. Not a lot of rain, but impressive that they got everything done, and we'll be interested to see what kind of the next stage of renovations looks like. All right, Ryan, that is going to be it for today. How you feeling about uh, Saturday? Good. Ready to ready to get up there. Uh, Acrisure Stadium, I got it down now. Artist for, formerly known as Heinz Field. Uh, <laughs> they haven't changed it in Madden. I realized that last time I was playing against the Steelers in a game. It's still, okay. Heinz, it's still Heinz Field, but excited for it. It should be a really good game, and uh, just excited to watch Tennessee play a big-time football game. It was great to get back. It was great to have action inside Neyland Stadium. Yeah. Obviously, Ball State is a whole lot different than Pitt. And, you know, we, we talked about all offseason, five kind of games on this Tennessee schedule we see is, you know, could really go either way, and Pitt's one of them. So we get that, that train started uh, Saturday. 
Yeah, man, not to mention with both Florida and Georgia picking up a ranked non-conference win in the first week of the season, that game just becomes this much more important for Tennessee to kind of keep up in those in those race, uh, in that race, excuse me, and then obviously when Tennessee plays Florida in just here in a couple weeks. Uh, that game is a September game, correct? Yeah. Yeah, last week of September, if I remember correctly. So big things coming up on the horizon. Hey, that is going to be it for us today. But again, we are going to be heading to Pittsburgh on Friday. We'll be there for the game on Saturday. Make sure you are following along with Rocky Top Insider on all the different platforms we have for you to get uh, to stay updated with the latest news, notes, and coverage for Tennessee football. You can follow us at Rocky Top Insider on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. If you want to go follow Ryan, you can follow him on Twitter at rshump00. If you want to follow me, you can go and follow me at Rick underscore Butler. But of course, make sure you're following the Rocky Top Insider Twitter account. That is where so much of our news, notes, and content is going to be. We want to keep you updated with everything going on in Tennessee, especially coming up this weekend when Tennessee plays their first top 25 ranked matchup of the Josh Heupel era. That's going to wrap it up for us here on the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass. We will talk to you this weekend after the Pittsburgh game. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the day. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass.